Lord, I'm thanking you for wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. Open eyes of understanding. Would you release the spirit of wisdom and revelation upon us? We might see, we might know, we might hear. Heaven, heaven, speak now. Speak to our hearts. Lord, you've done so, so wonderfully tonight as you've called us and, and given us a vision of opened heavens and prophetic insight and revelation and then breaking our hearts with mercy and intercession. God, I'm asking that you would show us the timetable and the season in which we live, even right now, even in April 2006. Right now, Lord. So speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you for it. And everybody said amen. I want to share a little, just a little story. It's a little bit not really, has more to do with our ministry time than it has to do with uh, the message. But uh, I heard a, an, a wonderfully amazing testimony. Actually, Billy Mardock gave me a CD, wherever you are, that blessed me, Billy. Yeah. Uh, gave me a CD about this story about this young girl. And I actually went online and did a little background information to find out about this. And it's actually all real. And uh, this little girl has been on Oprah and Montel Williams and on CNN and all this stuff. She's 11 right now. This little girl at four years old, she went to heaven. And when she came back, she was gifted beyond the imagination uh, in, in uh, art and in poetry. And uh, at age four, she was drawing with uh, charcoal and, and carbon and, and drawing full faces, full features, like what you might see a senior in high school do um, and, and their, art, you know, their art projects at four years old. Now, I've, I have a five-year-old. He just turned five. And I'm telling you, he can't do anything but stick figures. And, the, you know, the legs are three times as big as the head. I mean, it, you know, it's just, it doesn't look like, I'm talking about the CD you gave me. Thank you for that. It was really good. But uh, anyway, he, I mean, he could never do form and shadow and light and shading. And that's what this little girl is doing at four years old. And, you, and I'm going to give you, tell you, you can go online and find this and see these, you can see these portraits. Anyway, by the time she's six and seven, she's doing full uh, acrylic or whatever it is, oil portraits, four feet by, you know, three feet or whatever it is. And she is, uh, she is understood to be the only child uh, binary genius. And binary means two different, uh, two different genres, two different mediums, but she's the only child binary genius in the world. She, she, her artwork, some of her portraits have sold for as much as $700,000 to art collectors all over the world. And when you go online and you see this, it will mess you up. And it is, I believe she is a sign and a wonder of first fruits generation of Acts 2. It shall come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And she has, she's been to heaven. She's had uh, encounters of the third kind. I mean, stuff you can't even imagine. And uh, her dad had to forbid her at, at the age of like 10 from getting out of bed before 4 a.m. Because she would get out of bed uh, at 4 a.m. The Lord would come in her room and rest on her in the presence of the Lord. And she'd be out of bed at 4 a.m. seeking the Lord. And then the next day, the Lord would come in strong, more strongly and she'd be up at, at 3. And she was getting up at 2 a.m. in the morning to have her quiet time. You know, you wish you had that problem with your child, don't you? You're praying way too much. Would you just chill, you know? And this is real, and you can find this all online. And uh, I understand uh, Oprah's R&D, Research and Development Department, has, has uh, 
really taking it upon themselves to make sure that they don't have any false stuff on their on their show. And so the fact that she was on Oprah is a pretty big deal. I mean, because they go in the background. But uh, I was I was stirred with that. I was stirred with that that God is in this generation releasing unique giftings and and oh 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 the second genre is her poetry. And you get to read this poetry, and I'm telling you, the language that's coming out of this little seven-year-old girl, the poems, they said the poems arrive fully composed. I like how they say, arrive. (laughs) The poem arrives. (laughs) You've got mail. I mean, bam, the poem is there. And she writes it up. And you, I mean, you meditate on it, and you go, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is, this is eternity. (laughs) This is, this is an open heaven of revelation over this little gal. So um, I'll give you her name, and if you Google her name, you'll find it. It's, her name is Akiana, A-K-I-A-N-E. A-K-I-A-N-E. Google Akiana, you'll go online. How's it go? Yeah, so it's art, A-R-T, A-K-I-A-N-E dot com. Check it out. Read the poetry. Make sure you read the poetry. Unbelievable. So I'm just a little stirred with that. I thought it was cool. She's 11 now. I love it because it's not some little gal that we're reading about from some history book somewhere, some place back in space and time. This little gal lives in Idaho. Come on, Idaho. I mean, she lives in Idaho. Oh, 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 and the cool thing is her parents were, her mom was an atheist. I talked to her mom on the phone the other day. <laughs> I won't tell you how, because y'all all want to talk to her too, but I did. I talked to her mom and I go, hey, uh, what's the deal? Like, were you guys praying and fasting and da 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 And she goes, no, I was an atheist. Like, how does that work? I go, you're not anymore, are you? She goes, no, it blew our minds. Because the stuff that she was saying was impossible for a four and five-year-old to say. And the language and the, the vivid uh, descriptions. Anyway, okay, good. So I'm waxing a little bit eloquent on that. All right, Hebrews 12. I really want to share this with you because I think it's an important, I think we have an important word for us. And so Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape to refuse him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promising yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, it indicates the removal of those things that are are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Just look at it again. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. He's referencing when God came down on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and 20. He's referencing God coming and shaking the earth, speaking and thundering. It says, his voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised. He's quoting Haggai 2. He's actually quoting Haggai's, Haggai 2. In chapter 2 of Haggai 2, he has two encounters with the Lord. They're three days apart. He's quoting the prophetic word from the first encounter. And he says, yet once more. I shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Not only the earth, but also the heaven. And so these verses are important verses right now. 
And I would encourage you to pray into them and ask the Lord what he may be saying to you about these. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of a background for us. We had a interesting swirl from December through January uh, over these verses. And uh, honestly, without this is zero exaggeration, we had no less than 10 different people either give us these verses specifically saying Hebrews 12, uh, you know, 25 through 27, uh, or Haggai 2, 6, or say God says he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. We had no less than 10. And uh, I asked the Lord a while back, I said, I'm kind of dim when it comes to prophetic stuff, so if you'll just say it through more people than I can imagine, you know, being said through, then I, I won't miss it. You know, if, I, if I've got to un do it and try to figure out the poetry and the symbolism. I'm, I'm bound to miss it, Lord. I'm not that bright. But if you'll give it through me, give it to me through like 10 people, Lord. I mean, this is a prayer I had. So if you give it to me like 10 people, I'll get it. And so honestly, we had no less than 10 people give us the same word. Some in our midst, uh, here on staff, uh, some, you know, IHOP family, some uh, people that are just friends of us, and, you know, it's in their journal, or, you know, or the, then the one, my favorite one was the little gal in KC who had the dream that spoke of these verses about a shaking. And, and, and then, in the month of January, we got word of five nationally known prophets who released a similar word. They either spoke about Atlanta specifically or said the Southeast. I think, I think three said Atlanta and two said the Southeast or two said Atlanta, three said the Southeast. But they said specifically this region and they said God is going to bring a shaking or he's going to shake everything that can be shaken or they used the verses. And so we've got honestly no, left, no less than 15 different voices on these verses. And it's really more than that because I quit counting. I mean, it just, it just got ridiculous. And just, you know, just the random person sends you an email and goes, I think I got a little word for you, shake everything, can be shaken. Like, oh my gosh, you know, we're on number 22 or something. And so it's literally that many. Well, when you get that many voices on a particular issue, you've got to take notice. So I'm sharing that with us so that we might take notice of these verses. Now, I've been speaking about this idea of a shaking. I've probably said something four or five or six different times, different places, some here, some other places. And I'm, I've particularly focused on what the shaking means as it relates to the natural uh, power bases in the different sectors of society and uh, how God is going to remove uh, things that are not of the kingdom of heaven. He's going he's to change a lot that's in front of us right now as it relates to economics, as it relates to education, religion, particularly in the realms of religion. I, I really see the tremor in, in, in the church right now. And... Uh, I don't want to say anything inflammatory. I just, I think there's a shaking coming big time to us in the church world. But, so there's, there's five or seven, whatever, sectors that we believe that the, there's a natural earthly shaking that's going on. We, may be, we believe it may have other implications in the natural realm. But then, I, I haven't really focused on the shaking of the heavens. The shaking of the heavens. And so, um, I think that that needs to be addressed and I think we need to um, get our mind around what that means when he says, I'm not just shaking the earth, but I'm shaking the heavenlies. 
I'm shaking the, the heavenly realms. And he's not, because in, that, in the language of the, of the verse, uh, that word, you could take it to mean sky, but I really believe he's talking about the principalities and powers that have residency in the heavenly realms and that have been given authority by people in the earth and that there is a, here's what I believe the Lord is saying, that there is a move of God that's going gonna, gonna to come against the realms of darkness that uh, people have, people are, see, you got to think about this. Any principality that's in power, it's in power because the people in that location have chosen that principality through their sin. They empower it and they choose it. And so when the demonic has authority in an area, it's because the people in the earth realm have given that thing authority through their actions. They vote with their feet, if you can think of it that way, on the spiritual atmosphere that they want. But when people in a certain area begin to vote on their knees and say, we no longer want darkness as our spiritual covering, we want light and revelation to break in, well, what God will do is through the the answer, he'll bring light, and that will bring a shaking to the realms of darkness. And I think... We are in a, the beginnings, according to this word about the shaking, and according to Hebrews 12, I think we're in a season where we may begin to see tremors in the kingdom of darkness. We may begin to see a shaking take place as it relates to uh, the, the controlling spirits over Atlanta and over the southeast region. And I think it's as a result of people praying and fasting and crying out to God, not just IHOP, certainly not just IHOP. I'm talking about the wave of prayer that's taking place all over the place uh, throughout our city, throughout our state, and throughout the southeast. But this word about the heaven shaking, it must be taken to heart. We must get our mind around, what does it mean if the heavens shake? It's a big deal. So if God shifts earthly power bases and heavenly power bases, that means he's going to push back the veil of darkness over a region and, and bring in kingdom manifestation. And there are seasons when God has done that throughout history. And I was just saying recently that I last Two weeks ago, I had the chance to spend time with a woman who's almost 80 years old, and she is the daughter of uh, one of the, the main figures of the great healing revival in the 40s and 50s, and she saw firsthand the activity of, of the power of God breaking in and, and masses and masses of people getting healed and, and saved and, and delivered. And the story she was telling me was bringing me to tears. And, and what I realized was this. What, I'd never thought of it before. I was sitting in this archives room with this, this woman, this wonderful woman of God. And she was, she, her, her mind was like a history book. She had the dates and the cities and the locations and the names. It was absolutely stupendous. I was like, ah. Oh. I, I mean, I spent three hours with her. And I could have gone another three, but I had to minister that night. I was just like, I can't believe how cool this is. I go, could I come back next time? But she began to un, un, you know, load to me all these different encounters. And as I'm sitting there in that room with this woman, I'm asking her all these questions. It dawns on me, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. And all of a sudden, I, it, it clicked to me, the Hebrides revival, the great revival in the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides Islands, off the coast of there in Scotland, the great revival by Duncan Campbell, 1948. 
And there is, a, there is a global surge of revival power all over the planet when God brought back the captivity of Zion in an initial way. That's not the fulfillment of that verse. But when God set up Israel as a nation in the, 40, in the 40s, all of a sudden power, and Hebrews 6 calls it power of the age to come. Power of the age to come was released in the earth. Signs, wonders, and miracles. There were 150 healing evangelists filling up tents of five to 15 to 20,000 all over the nation and all over the world. And that's where Oral Roberts got his start. And it, I never put it together, but God's sovereign activities relates to bringing back the nation of Israel was, was exclamated with a power release of divine signs, wonders, and miracles in this healing revival. And it was the Acts of the Apostles on display. Everything we read about in the book of Acts was going on in a, in a uh, exponential uh, a, a number of, of uh, uh, amount, in an, ex- an exponential scope. And so I was struck with that, and I, and I began to get stirred. And I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a miniature student of revival. I've read about 20 books, and I spent a couple of years real hard on the subject. And, but not like some, but I've got enough. I've got a little bit. And, and I started, my heart beginning to warm over that. I go, oh man, God, do it, please. Please, 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 God. And I began to get touched, and I told my wife, when I came back from that trip, I said, I have this little impression. I said, I, I've got that, and I don't have any better way to say it, but I got that revival feeling. I got that revival feeling. I got something, there's something God's doing. God's, he's stirring something. He's about to release something. And we came and we prayed in that week, uh, on the beginning of the week, and then we got a word. And I won't go into it, but we got a, a, a word that's basically the same thing. That this, there's a prophetic voice right now. He's, he's saying real strongly that there's a breakthrough right now in, in our getting ready to happen. Big breakthrough, massive breakthrough. And I won't go into any bigger than that, but that's what it is. And so I'm not trying to give anybody a sugar high, but what I am trying to do is tell you that I do believe that God has ordained seasons of manifestations of power. And inbreakings of the powers of the age to come, and mass revival, and mass salvations, mass deliverance, and mass healings. And he uses little old people like me and you. Little buddy, nobodies. Just, you know, just little anybody. You just go, uh, the guy goes, I'm sick. You go, I believe Jesus heals. You go, bam. What were you sick with? I had cancer, but it's gone now. All right. You know, we're in. Let's do it again. You know, and, and God does that, and the thing starts ripple affecting. And the next thing you know, they're like knocking on your door at your house. That's the cancer healer. You're like, I'm normal. Three more, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, the next thing you know, it's in the newspaper, and then revival's going on. And, that's, and God does that kind of things. He does fun th- stuff like that. And I want to say this to you that the promise of the heaven shaking, number one, it can't be overlooked. But number two, the promise of the heaven shaking is a promise of spiritual breakthrough. And when we got 15 words of shaking the heavens and shaking the earth, I immediately went to the shaking of the earth realm because it, it shocked me. And I felt like God was uh, definitely highlighting the earth being shaken. Because our tendency would be to go, the heavens are going to shake right now, revival. And God goes, hey, hey, sober up because this is an earth shaking as well. But on the back side of that, there is a heaven shaking as well. And I believe God is going to send a tremor into the, into the realms and the forces of darkness. He's going to tr- send a tremor. And he's going to displace some of these uh, strongholds that have been holding back uh, the people of God from entering in to uh, 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 an open heaven reality. Thus, the zeal 
when we were praying tonight that you sense for the, the angelic to come, for the power to come, for the prophetic manifestation to come. There was zeal on that. And where was it coming from? Well, it was coming from you. And God is, in, there's an invitation, there's a clear invitation right now from heaven for us to, to lean in, to stirring, for us to lean in and hunger and cry out to heaven for something real from heaven that will cause the heavens to shake. Oh, that the heavens would shake. I started thinking about a shaking heaven. Oh, Lord, shake the heavens. Oh, Lord, rend the heavens. Sounds a lot alike. Well, guess what? A, re- a rent heaven, a heaven that's ripped open, an Isaiah 64 reality, rend the heavens and come down, is a shaking heaven. When the heavens are rent, when they're ripped open, what he's talking about is God puts his hand in a certain area and he opens the brass heaven and he displaces darkness and creates a portal of encounter from heaven to earth. It's a rending of the heavens. It's the same reality. Hebrews 12, 25 through 27 is Isaiah 64, 1, 2, and 3. That reality, the rending of the heavens and the shaking of the earth, you'll find it in Isaiah 64, 1. He goes, rend the heavens, come down that the mountains might shake. And so I'm, I'm stirred a bit. And I sense there's, there's something up. And praise God for it. And I, I say, yes, Lord, bring it on. Like, mess us up for real. Like, you know, da-da-da-da-da, do whatever you want to do. And, and blow us away. Anybody want to get... Okay. All right. And I have a sensation of building hunger. Now, you guys have had enough revival messages to know that there's that whole sugar high thing. Oh, no, if I believe in it again. Oh, what if it doesn't happen? Well, look, I'm putting no timing on it, and I'm telling you no scale or scope. In fact, I'm going to tell you the opposite in a minute. And what I'm going to tell you is this, that I believe there is a season of awakening coming, a little something, something. I don't know what it is. And it may happen next door, and it may happen next you know, state. I don't really know, but I do believe that we got a little something, something that's getting ready to happen. A little something, something. But I don't believe it's the big R. Now, when I say big R, I'm talking about capital R revival, great harvest of the age. I'm talking about God sweeping in, I mean, perhaps a billion souls prior to the return of the Lord Jesus. And here's what I want to say. I believe that we are going to see, and hear me right now, I think we're going to see lots of revival swirls. Lots of visitations. In the next 30, 40, 50 years, I think we're going to see many times that the waters will stir, and people will get healed, and power will break in, and and we'll hear testimonies, and, and we'll hear about miraculous things that are exceeding our mind. But I think we're not going to just hear about the, the one little one. I think we're going to hear about multiple swirls in multiple places. Now, is there anybody in here that's ever been a revival tracker? Come on now, just admit me. I know I've been. I mean, you go, you hear about the guy and they came to the city and you're going to go, just lay hands on me, brother. I mean, I remember one time we went to Macon because we'd heard God was there. We didn't check schedules. We didn't check anything. In fact, I thought it, what I read sounded like it was the real stuff. I drove down, to, drove down to Macon. I said, have you heard about the revival? The guy looked at me and goes, no. I'm like, can't be. We drove down to Macon, didn't even find it. <laughs> oh. Drove all the way back. But that's, I mean, hey, I heard God was there. 
know what I'm saying? I heard God was there. I wanted to be there. If God was there, I want to be there. I'm tired of saying, look, man, I've got no pride in this area. I will go where God is. I, come on, Lord. So, there's going to be bunches of swirls. And if God added 5,000 or 10,000 people to us right here in Gwinnett County, and I don't even mean just us, I'm just saying the church. I mean, if all of a sudden the water level rose in the church in Gwinnett County by 10,000 people, real salvations, that'd be wonderful. It'd be amazing, 10,000 brand new converts right here in Gwinnett County. That'd be great. But it would be nothing, I mean, comparatively, what, what we need. 750,000 in our, in our county. 10,000 would be wonderful, and we'd rejoice. But here's what I really, really, really want to put in us. I don't think, say it differently, I think if we get moved, I'm talking about moved in heart by five or 10,000, what we do is we step right out of the ability to re- receive 500,000. Do you know what I'm saying? If five or 10 or 50,000 moves us, then we move right out of the place of being able to uh, see God move with 500,000 so that he can move with a billion. See, because even the 500,000 isn't the point. If there's a global harvest of 500,000, beloved, that is not yet the point. It's not the big R. And I think one of our greatest dangers, and I'm speaking to myself as well, is that when swirling things happen and God opens watering holes and and God opens little places of visitation and there's encounter going that we will tend to do that revival tracker thing and we will run here and run there without allowing the Lord to establish a beachhead unto a full-blown caving in of the heavens, a real rending open and an infiltration of the kingdom of God in one location. And and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm giving us an admonishment that five or 10,000 isn't our supreme goal, nor is 500,000. It's, it's the, the revival that we're praying for, it's not for real. It doesn't have the big R in front until the scope is a billion, and it's happening simultaneously with the judgments of God pounding the planet. That's the one we're praying for. Now, we love all those other ones. We don't disdain any of those. We go high five on all those, all you 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, all that. We want all of that. However, if we go running around, you know, uh, to every little watering hole, we will absolutely miss the point of the house of prayer. Mm, okay. See, if our heart is moved with 100,000, if we act differently, we quit doing IHOP at 100,000 souls, then we don't continue to, to build the beachhead for a million souls. And if we quit doing IHOP at a million souls because revivals come, then we've, we lose the ability to see the thing explode to a billion souls because instead of doing prayer, we go do revival. And I'll tell you the revival that we're looking for. The revival we're looking for with the big R in front is when the prayer meeting becomes the revival. 
It's when the prayer meeting and the prophetic singers sing with a prophetic unction are releasing songs of deliverance and like lightning bolts and like thunder shots, the prophetic singers open their voice and they sing a, a, a line and it sends deliverance right to the heart of the demon eyes. It sends, it sends healing right to the heart of the, the cancer victim. And, and it sends you know, power to the heart of the one that doesn't believe. And bang, there is a release of thunder from the mouth of messengers. I'm not talking just you know even in a room. I'm talking about in a general area. I mean, the little prophetic singer guy, gal up there, they say, you know, uh, stretch forth your hand and heal. Release the sign and a wonder. Stretch forth your hand and heal. Release the sign and a wonder. And in a 25-mile uh, radius of the house, there's an explosion of signs and wonders that are, that's in the atmosphere. And that's what we're looking for, beloved. And that's the biblical proportions. When we say revival, that's the biblical proportions because the Bible says there will be a martyr spirit. There will be martyrs from every tribe and tongue and nation of people in all of the globe. Every people group in the planet, they won't just get saved. They will be so radically on fire for Jesus, they will die for the testimony of Christ. That's a revival spirit in every single facet of every single society in the earth. That's the one we're praying for. And so when we get a little swirl, which I think we may get one, and if we don't, no big deal, but I think we might. If we get a little swirl, my admonishment is this. Let's keep doing IHOP. The point is, if the, the room fills up, you're still the same dorky guy you were before when the room was empty. No, no, we have to. We have to believe that. Because the great shock of the 1940s healing revival was that God used these ordinary ministers from these ordinary little places, filled up healing revival tents of 15 and 20,000. They became massive uh, TV personalities and everything. And, and when God put his hand upon them, all of a sudden, they were not the same guy. And many, 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 the shocking, hard realities, many, many, many forgot who they were when they were in obscurity. And they found themselves off the path with the Lord, and then many of them fell because they didn't continue in the ways that they had continued in prior to God bringing prosperity. And so I want to talk just a minute. And we're going, a little, we're going to go a little longer. I'm probably going to end right around 9. So just, you know, tune yourself for another 20 minutes. And so I want to go in just a minute. I want to talk about obscurity and prosperity. I want to talk about that. See, our value system... Our value system and our mandate is this. There will be a night and day reality of prayer and worship in Atlanta until the Lord Jesus returns. Our value system says there will be a night and day reality of prayer and worship in Atlanta until the Lord Jesus returns. Now, if God sovereignly dismantles us because we're living in caves and running from the Antichrist, whatever, that's okay. You know, we'll do that. But we believe we'll continue in prayer and worship in a community living that life. But we're believing that there'll be a night day reality of prayer and perhaps even a pocket of mercy that would even leave us protected even in that day until the Lord Jesus returns. So that means this, that when 100,000 people are getting saved all over Atlanta, we don't quit doing prayer to go do the revival event. We do prayer. That's our mandate. Our, our value system says it's better in the place of obscurity on a platform singing to Jesus first 
It's better to do that than it is to parade a gift for the masses. Because we'll have more effect in the kingdom of God by entering into the government of God's kingdom. We enter into one, there's one governmental principle in God's kingdom. It's this, you ask him and he does what you ask when you ask him what he wants to do. That's called prayer according to his will. So we do that until he comes. And we don't go running to do revival and forget our mandate. And so our value system anchors us to this reality. Everything that we do, it happens because of this reality of night and day prayer. And everything that, uh, that we start, ministries, everything else, it serves this reality of night and day prayer. And that's who we are. It's who we will be until the Lord Jesus comes. The greatest challenge we face is keeping the main thing the main thing. That was good. The greatest challenge we face is keeping the main thing the main thing. People love prayer and fasting in theory, but very few sign up for it in activity. And so we're ones that have said yes to the activity of, and a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, and we're going to anchor ourselves to this. And we were talking this morning, Monica and Louise and I, and, and we were just talking about how you can actually come to IHOP, sit in the prayer room at IHOP, and not actually do IHOP. This is for the young people. You can come to do IHOP, sit in the prayer room and do IHOP, and instead of doing IHOP, you do MySpace for two hours. It's really possible. All right, let's talk about obscurity for a moment. Now let these words go into your heart. In obscurity, you're gifted with the grace of the wilderness. The wilderness is a grace. It is a grace that God would invite you to. It's an invitation from heaven to enter into the wilderness with him. And obscurity, when people don't have a big recognition of you, and there's not masses, you know, hoarding you and thronging you, obscurity gives you this beautiful grace of the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you, you find the place of testing. The enemy loves to come in the wilderness and bring testings and bring temptations and bring accusations. The wilderness it affords you the opportunity to be tested and tempted by the enemy. It also affords you the opportunity to experience the teachings of the Lord and the trials that God would offer, the challenges that the Lord would bring. And what you end up finding is that with the temptations of the adversary and the trials that that the Lord would offer, it's challenging in the wilderness, but your legs get stronger day after day after day. And the wilderness offers you this grace. The wilderness offers you the grace of dryness. Because we can all serve God when we feel it. But the obscure place of the wilderness gives you the opportunity to love Jesus when you don't feel it. The grace of dryness. It offers you The dark night of the soul, Song of Solomon 5, it gives you the opportunity to sense what it's like to say yes to God without any big fanfare, without any big swoosh of the Spirit. The wilderness gives you the grace of dryness. It also offers you the place of solitude. And I tell you, solitude, it is, man, it is a commodity in this hour. Solitude. 
I'm talking about quiet, by yourself, with God. Some of the most precious times I think we have in the house of prayer are our 6 a.m. sets. There's nobody here. It's two guys that have to be here and then the guy on the platform who has to be here. And it's awesome. And I like to get where I don't even see Stephen. He has to be here and I have to be here. I like when I don't even see him. So then, I, you know, it's like I'm me and Jesus alone in an empty room. It's solitude. The wilderness affords you solitude. Jesus alone with God in the wilderness. David alone with God in the wilderness. Moses alone with God in the wilderness. Solitary. And yet the wilderness is the place of hope. Hosea 2, he says, I will give you hope in the wilderness. And I go, obscurity, God. I, you know, my heart, there's a longing you've placed in my heart to leave a legacy, to have an impact. Obscurity, it bangs against that reality. He goes, yes, but I'm touching the six other longings that I've placed in you. And I'm answering desires in that place of obscurity that are almost impossible to find the answers to in a place of prosperity and blessing. And so you get to touch in the wilderness this thing called barrenness. For real. What do I mean? I mean this. You come to understand it when you're in obscurity. When, when nobody knows your name, you come to understand that without God, you got nothing. Because you don't have a bunch of people telling you you're great. You got nothing unless you have God. And then the thing about the wilderness and obscurity, the thing that it offers you is this. You don't really have as much of God as you thought you did. That's the wilderness, man. You're far less than you realized. And in the wilderness, you get to know the pain and the fellowship. On the good side, it's solitude. On the bad side, it's loneliness. You get to fellowship with the Son of Man who was God? Think about the loneliness of that. Multitudes thronging him, yet he's the only man who is God as a man. Like, how do you explain your challenges to anybody? You don't have a friend that, you, that has been through everything you've been through. You've been through everything they've been through. You know, globally, you understand all of their stuff, but there's nobody who understands your stuff. I tell you, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, he spent his hours in prayer all night. I guarantee many of those nights he was up with the Lord and he was with his Father and he was saying, I'm a little lonely tonight. I just need you to hold my hand. It's in that place of loneliness you go, God alone, he understands me. God alone knows me. See, in the place of the loneliness and the obscurity, that's when you fight the mental battles. That's when you start going, what am I doing here? Am I effective? Am I making an impact? The desire to leave a legacy? You're like, what am I doing? I'm in obscurity. I'm doing, does this even count? Is this even valid? Is this even sound? Did I lose my mind? What am I thinking? You know, did God say, you know, Alabama? And I thought he said Atlanta. I mean, did I take a zig when I should have zagged? How did this go? He goes, little buddy, oh, hang in there. Stay right there. I got you where I want you. It's obscure. It's lonely. It's wilderness. It's dry. It's barren. Oh, but I'm putting a root in you. And what we don't realize 
as we think we're strange when we're going through doubts and challenges and the mental battles and the dealings with, you know, accusations over, are we, are, is this valid, you know? And God says, I'm proofing you in the wilderness. I'm proving you in obscurity. You know, it's amazing. In the wilderness, in obscurity, so interesting. There are no accolades. There's no, way to go, we all thought you were great. And God allows those things to be removed from your life in obscurity. Why? So you'll get an identity rooted in God. Why am I saying these things? I'm saying them, beloved, especially staff and, and family. Do I help? Let's love this place. Let's love the place of obscurity. Let's love the place of the wilderness. Let's allow these things to go deep, so deep inside. Let's allow them to root our hearts in a real identity in God, not moved by what men's uh, approval can, can do for me. When you're in obscurity, guess what can't prop you up? Men's approval. Why? Because there is none. We don't realize how often in ministry, when things are quote-unquote successful, it's the approval of men that's propping us up, getting us to believe that we're right on track with God, and the entire time it was man clapping their hands for us. I'm just going to read this. See, in obscurity, you don't find men's praise to inebriate your heart. You don't find men's approval propping you up. You, you live in a perpetual state of rawness. A perpetual state of rawness. You come to understand that in this life, it's either God who satisfies or nothing. Yet the ache and the pain that you experience at the heart level is all the time working for you. It's strengthening your legs to stand. And the reproach that you bear by giving yourself to apparent absurdity is qualifying you for authority. It's qualifying you for authority. What am I saying? I'm saying the obscure place, the wilderness, the place of dryness, the place of the desert, the place of loneliness, the place of solitude, the place of what seems to be, you know, foolishness. In that place, God raises up deliverers. God raises up voices. God raises up messengers from the place of the wilderness. And I'm telling you, he gives them the grace of the wilderness and the obscurity of the wilderness. He gives them that grace so that they can stand not being moved when they are prospered by the hand of the Lord. How did Moses remain the most humble man that ever lived on the planet with 2.2 million people following his every word? He did 40 years. Forty years. How did he stay humble after he opened the Red Sea with a rod? How did he stay humble when the cloud would appear over his tent and no one else's? How did he stay humble when his face was shining with fire and glory from another age and God himself was speaking audibly to him? How did he stay humble? He did 40 years in obscurity. See, in the wilderness, God prized your heart from the desire for earthly success. He sculpts your heart to desire his desires. See, I'm telling you, beloved, 
Let us not despise these days. Let us long and love these days. And if a swirl comes, praise God. If a swirl doesn't come, praise God. I'm not in it for the 5,000 or 10,000. Though I love it, I go, yes, 5,000, 10,000. Let's get bunches of those swirls. I'm in it for when the, the R in front of the word turns into a capital R. And the prayer meeting turns into the revival meeting. See, I am convinced that the prayer movement and the revival to come are one reality. They are one reality. That there will be many deliverances in the prayer meeting. God deepens the desire in your heart for God, all the while stripping you of the desire for earthly fame. Why? Why does he strip you of the desire for earthly fame? So he can encounter you. I've been saying to the Lord a little bit recently, Lord, I don't think I'm tempered enough. I don't think I'm humble enough. I don't think I'm broken enough to be able to give any kind of leadership to any kind of real God stuff because I know my heart and I'm wicked and I know my propensity to point to myself and God do whatever you got to do to qualify me and strengthen my legs and if the obscurity has to stay for a long period of time whatever your plan is I'll take it God even to the pain and, and just I mean just if, if I, my mouth is complaining Lord know this I want you and not me and so just yank the complaints from my lips you know so I can be qualified and see here's the truth we don't get it but it's First Peter 5 and I'm, I'm landing I think this is so important to us if a swirl does come if a swirl comes, beloved, we've got to have our heart anchored in these realities. This, this is our value system. This is my point. I'm trying to give you some of our value system. This is our value system. It's more important that night and day reality of praise and worship to his great name would happen than we would get some accolades from humans. God wants you on the platform. He has no problem getting you there. He'll have a gigantic fish swallow you and spit you out to the platform. Isn't that right, Angie? So she told us last week. And all the while, he'll high-five the process of the, of the perfection of your heart. 1 Peter 5, it says this. We miss this so often. We miss these verses. We quote them to young people, but we don't really get it. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. So the parents harp on that one, and they miss the very next phrase. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Huh. Sounds like a two-way street. And be clothed with humility. If everybody's clothed with humility, you can have mutual submission all around. Here's why. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's saying, humble yourself under the process and the grace of the wilderness. Humble yourself and say yes to obscurity in the measure God wants to give it to you in the grace of God. Why? Because God wants to exalt you in due time. The humbling process and the strengthening of your legs in obscurity is qualifying you to stand without wavering in the day of prosperity. And what we try to do is, we see, we with a wrong motive, we go, I am humble, I am humble, I am humble. Now exalt me, God. No, the guy that goes through obscurity and goes through the wilderness, he doesn't care about being exalted anymore. 
he's, he, he touches a little something in God. He goes, it's, it's Jesus. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, my life is about Jesus. I, I just want Jesus. And whatever men may say about me, who cares? I, it's, it's not about the money they can pay me. It's not about the number of hands that can clap for me. It's not about if they put me on TV or radio or, or on the internet or whatever, whatever. It's not about any of that. It's this. It's Jesus in this life. My soul satisfaction is Jesus. In this life, my portion and my claim to fame is I know this amazingly famous one. His name is Jesus. I'm famous because I know him. Regardless of if any man ever recognizes it. And God wants to work that reality to us in the wilderness. And so it, it's, it's the core reality of our life. Why? Because he really does want to exalt you. He really does. He wants to put a glorious bride on a stage, center stage for all the world to see. Because the glorified, beautified bride that's alive in love, moving in fire and power of the age to come is the greatest evangelistic tool. The bride that's beautified, alive in love, moving in the glory of the age to come, it is the evangelistic tool. It's God's plan for evangelism to beautify his bride. He just wants to qualify you. For us, it's a challenge to stay in a place of obscurity, especially when you get a little bit of notoriety, a little bit of prosperity. But I'm telling you, when prosperity does come, it is a much greater challenge. The challenge of prosperity is far greater than the challenge of staying between the lines in obscurity. It's extremely difficult to navigate. How do you stay rooted in the lifestyle of the wilderness when multitudes are thronging. Who does that? Do we have modern models of that? Do we have examples of people's lives who have stayed the way they were in God, in humility, when they were moved by God from obscurity to prosperity. High five them if you know them. The challenge of prosperity is this. It's maintaining the same heart attitude toward God. It's living the same life before God that you did when you were a nobody. It's the challenge of prosperity. And it's looking at yourself the same way you did. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're in the desert all alone in solitude and you knew you needed God, looking at yourself the same way right then as you do later when multitudes are telling you you've got God. Oh, that this would be the reality of our life. It's practicing the same lifestyle that brought you to the place of prosperity as you did in obscurity. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When revival comes... When big swirls happen, even when the big R happens, you know what we'll still do? Night and day prayer. You know what else we'll still do? Fasted lifestyle. Somebody's like, well, I don't have any money right now, so I have to live a fasted lifestyle. Live the fasted lifestyle when you have $500,000 available to you. You're living the, the default fasted lifestyle. <laughs> Involuntary fast. Well, I can't eat today. I don't have any money. There you are, fasting and prayer. Live the fasted lifestyle when you have thousands available.
We continue to live humbly in team ministry and humility. It's who we have to be. It's who we have to be. Good. Let's just stand.